0: Today's episode is with one of our favorite clients, Mandar DeGay, Vice President of Sales and Marketing with Naphide Manufacturing. Listen in as Mundar tells you a little bit about how and why he came to Naphide and how the Naphide brand has evolved since he's been in his role. Friends, this guy has become a real inspiration to me, which is why I wanted him to share his insights with you. He's willing to try things. He's super smart. And the business strategies he builds have earned him greater responsibility in a very short amount of time. But more than that, he constantly stays abreast of the market, he uses data to make decisions, and he's just gosh darn likable. I wish all of you have a Mundar in your organization. For any listener out there that maybe works for a historical company looking to refresh an identity and presence, Mundar's insights will really hit home. So here he is, Mundar DeGay, a true inspiration and what I like to call a mentor client, someone I continually seek out for advice on marketing, business, and life. Enjoy. Where I thought we could start is maybe just talk a little bit about how we got to know each other, our relationship, and then talk a little bit about your background and how you got into this.
1: So I'm the vice president of sales and marketing at Napide. I've been there for six years now. And uh, for people that don't know anything about Napide, we are a 171-year-old family-owned company, sixth-generation family leadership in Quincy, Illinois. And everybody knows our product because our product is what services America. So if you are familiar with any, let's just say, utility or cable company, and you know the guy comes over to your house, guy or gal comes over to your house to service your, your equipment or your power or anything like that, There is a truck that's the cab of a GM Ford or Ram pickup truck, but in the back there's a box and that stuff has tools and it's got a crane attached to it. And it's got, you know, doors that open up for them to throw components and stuff in. We are the largest manufacturers of those truck boxes and truck beds in North America. And we've been doing it for 171 years. So the NAPI name is of course the family name. Right. So we are our CEO is Bo Napide and his name is on every vehicle that goes or every body that we build. So it's really important for us to maintain not just the brand equity, but in return the family name equity
0: absolutely. By doing
1: that. I've been an industrial rat my entire life. I actually by education, by base education, I'm a mechanical engineer and I've been in the transportation industry my entire life. So I started off with General Motors and then had a um, pretty diverse career with Eaton Corporation. I did everything from plant operations, I did plant supervision all the way up to mergers and acquisitions integration. Mm-hmm. And then um, I finally drank the sales and marketing Kool-Aid around, the, around the, on the way and moved into field marketing and I was director of field marketing for one of their truck transmission divisions.
0: So Mundar talked more about Samantle than we asked him to in this interview, but it's true. We at Samantle love helping organizations build brands. We love creating identities and making these really cool marketing campaigns. But what Mundar understood about branding was that employees had to embrace it. You hear him talk about knowing who we are, what we do, and how we do it. NAPIDE really took these principles to heart. The other thing Mundar talked about that mattered is that they didn't create this without talking to their customers. You know, full transparency here, clients these days, and yes, that may be you, tend to need to move so quickly that they often skip the research step. Napi didn't do that. They allowed us as their marketing partner to come in and learn about their business. We talked to their executives, their employees, their distributors, their customers. We really talked to the entire value chain. And through that, we were able to work with them on a multi-year game plan, and we still leverage that insight today. I think that's what makes you so well-rounded is that you have that engineering yeah. experience, you have the sales experience, you have the marketing experience. So tell me a little bit more about what drew you to the NAPIDE role from some of those larger organizations and focusing on that mighty middle, You know, like you mentioned, the long history family-owned company.
1: So when I got the call from the recruiter saying, hey, you know, there's this opportunity at a, at a company in uh, Quincy, Illinois. And for those of you that know, don't know Quincy, Illinois, it's a great town right in the middle of the Midwest of Illinois, but it's a small town. It's an agriculturally based community that's been traditionally around agriculture. And, and, but it's, it's a, it's an awesome, awesome community, but I went down to visit with them and I was intrigued enough to pursue it. And when I got to Quincy, my first trip to Quincy, I remember being picked up by Bonapai and it's like, okay, I'm not meeting with, somebody who's number 462 of right. X, I was meeting with the owner of the company. Mm-hmm. And um, the interview wasn't an interview. It was a discussion and an adventure through the company and the history and, and his experience and my experience. And,
0: and so how do you feel like what do you've been there? How long now? Six years. Six years. So in that time, how have you seen that experience change and grow for both like your employees on um, your distribution network and your, and your end users?
1: So, I really think the biggest thing that we've been able to do working with you guys with Samantel is really drive the essence of what our company is, who, you know, and how it's exactly how we built it. Right. Who we are, what we do and how we do it. Sure. Right. It's not about a mission statement. It's not about a vision statement. It's about who we are, what we do and how we do it. Right. And making sure that that brand message. Right. Because that's the essence of our brand message. Is understood to our customers, to their customers, and most importantly, internally to our employees, right? So that's what I think is essential with our experience is that we've been able to really relay our brand message both internally and externally, and in return, it's driven. You know, tremendous returns financially, tremendous returns from a market share perspective, but more importantly, tremendous returns internally with the pride of our employees and the pride internally to the company, you know, from the CEO all the way down. So
0: when you think back over your six years and the journey you've had there, what are you most proud of? Like tell me a story about, you know, what you remember most from that time frame.
1: One of the things that we spoke about earlier today was how our product is actually recognized. In our business, a lot of our products, like I explained before, get covered in wraps and stickers and the customer's branding, right? Think of if you see a, a Comcast truck, it's got Comcast written all sure. over it. You wouldn't really know if it was a Ford or such. It just, you'd remember Comcast. So one of the things that we said that we wanted, that one of the outcomes of our, our analysis, our strategic analysis was, you know, how do you make your product more visible? Right. And one of the, it's a simple thing, but it was, it was a project was... Hey, let's make the truck recognize. Let's make the body recognizable. How do you make sure people know it's a nap hide body, Right. right? It's not just a white box that's on the back of a truck. So really working on product, you know, taking our brand elements and relaying those into product design, taking our brand elements and looking at badging and emblems and such. It's cool now that when I'm driving down the road with my family, my eight-year-old can point to something and say, "Hey, Papa, there's one of your trucks." Right. And it's not because he knows the design features; it's because he sees our branding on the back.
0: Yeah, and I shared with you in return. I send you pictures. You send me all pictures the all the time because I'm so proud. Of it's being amazing able to see how many. It's
1: amazing how brand right. many pictures we get from.
0: I'm sure
1: customers or partners or uh, yeah. people out there saying, well, "We know it's yours because it's got the yeah. big, it's got the emblem on the back." So that's probably. I mean there's so many different things I could mention, but that's probably one of the biggest, let's just say, cool experiences yeah, or cool the It's the most visible
0: change. The most visible change, you know? What's a challenge that you would share that when you look back over the time, and maybe it's not just at Napi, but in your career experience that you learned the most from as a marketer?
1: I think one of the biggest changes, one of the biggest challenges I would say, is getting an organization both internally, but most importantly, an organization externally to embrace the change that you're trying to make. You know, as part of our work for NAPI, we came up with, you know, who we are, what we do, how we do it. We also came up with our, with what we call, you know, our mantra, our tagline, which is never settle. We'll never settle for good enough because you don't settle for good enough. And people were like, oh, okay, what does that mean? I think in the last couple weeks, you know, we've been battling some high waters around Quincy with the Mississippi and the number of times while we were filling sandbags or moving trucks or in Bo's email, Bo Napide's emails to the rest of the company about thanking, uh, thanking everybody for helping out, the number of times you see the word never settle yeah. is pretty amazing because it's who we are. It's, right. We don't settle. And it's it's our promise to our customers. Right. So that's a takeaway that tells me that we were very effective in driving change and changing the mindset of people through our work of rebranding and repositioning ourselves. And what we learned as working with you guys is that that never settled philosophy took a lot of work to get through right. and it's sticking. So, that's, so even at
0: times of challenge, like real challenge, like massive flooding, like people sure. are bringing up this mantra. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I think we've shared with you, Mandar, that we feel like we have sort of special affinity to marketers like you in the heavy industry space, right? Yeah. Is there anything specific that you feel like is unique to a heavy industry marketer that, you know, is a challenge that only people in those industries face.
1: You know, I think one of the things that's unique about the heavy industrial space is that marketing is not necessarily viewed as, an it should be, but it's not always viewed as an essential piece of the, you know, the success chain. Right. right. I think companies in the, in the heavy industry space that, make the investment in developing a robust and core marketing strategy.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Inevitably, you know, see that investment returned time over time, but most importantly, see the success going forward, right? right? And have better continuity going forward. So I think that's a challenge is, you know, sometimes it's really difficult when you're in that B2B industrial space to look at, look at yourself and say, hey, I need help right and i need help in certain areas and by getting this help i'm going to be better right, right.
0: why it's, is it's, that is that because you know you feel like leadership looks to the marketer to have it all figured out or it's just not the most priority in a production environment with the be, with ROI? the risk
1: with the risk of sounding sexist right i'm going to say <laughs> this right it's an industry of men, mm-hmm. unfortunately. You know, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of women coming in, but it's industry of men. Men don't go to the doctor to find out what they need done or what's sure. wrong. Sure. You know, oh, I got this pain. I'm just going to put some put some balm on it.
0: <laughs> right. And the
1: next thing you realize, and I'm speaking from personal experience, <laughs> the next thing you realize is you need a knee replacement. Yeah. So the question is, okay, that's not much different than the industrial sector, sure. Right. Companies are just slogging it out, trying yeah. to get, trying to make that extra buck and that self-diagnosis, and most importantly, that external diagnosis of what's working and what's not working sometimes takes a back seat.
0: Another thing that I think is super interesting about your role that not all of the marketers that we have the opportunity to work with get the luxury of being able to say that they can do is that your role has really evolved to integrate the functions of marketing and sales. And you've mentioned even as part of this conversation, how important it is to sort of like look at the dashboard, right? Like know where your data is coming from. And we've had tons of conversation about how to leverage that data. We've worked with napide on implementing technology and analytics and marketing automation and all of that so just talk to me about how sort of the, the view of having both functions is important in a heavy industry segment and then kind of your views on leveraging data and technology
1: I think the first thing that you have to you really have to understand is that sales and marketing are two separate activities okay okay they aren't the same is it
0: right? important to bring them together
1: I think it's important to understand, how each influence each other, and most importantly, how each of them work together to collaborate to success.
0: Okay.
1: For us, we've got a marketing team that's basically working on the traditional four P's of marketing, product price, place promotion. I've always said that if you have a, if you have the most optimized, perfect marketing team, you wouldn't need sales. Okay. Because the product would sell itself. Right. Because it's, it's the right product price the right way, in the right channel, and promote it automatically, right? right? If you can name me a product that's out there like that, I'll give you a gold star. Right. Right? <laughs> the reason we have sales is because we have the need
0: right.
1: to take our creation mm-hmm. and relay it to the customer, and most importantly, understand what the customer wants and bring it back to us. Right. So the, the sales right. team is so essential. Right. They're not just people that are out there with expense reports taking people out. Right. Although that's a that's a very I mean I, I won't I won't uh, shortchange that it's a very important part of their their role. It's the ability for the two of those groups to coexist and and respect each other to know that sales input sales feedback to marketing is essential, mm-hmm. and marketing direction to sales is yeah. essential. I'm going to be honest with you. I make it sound like it's easy. It's the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. But again, another view of data is is you know nowadays in cars you've got your navigation system. So it's pointing you to where you need to go. So things like email marketing or channel strategy or channel targeting or customer targeting, that's all that forward view. And how do you leverage that data into your marketing strategy? And then how does that relay out to your sales team and their sales strategy? It all comes together. The challenge for a modern sales and marketing executive is balancing all those points to get the returns that you need.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like one of my favorite memories of us working together was when you took a region of the country and you brought together the sales team and the marketing team and you had a conversation about what was working and what wasn't. And that was, you know, really healthy dialogue. There were some disconnects there. And I think that you've been able to take that microcosm and blow it out to a vision and be able to communicate that to the team. But there's still hurdles, right, culturally? Well,
1: there, there's still hurdles culturally. There's hurdles, you know, just recently we went, through a, we went through some organizational changes where I'm now taking a couple different channels of our business and we're merging it into one organization. And how do you make the two different channels coexist and, and happen and, and go from there? And um, the reality of it is is it's never finished. Right? It's never finished. So, you know, you've got to continuously uh, invent and reinvent and rethink how things are being done because, you know, it's never finished and it's never done. It's always a work in progress.
0: Talk to me about that because when you came on at NAPCAD, you dug in, whether it was partners or your internal team, you said, I'm going to get my arms around this situation and I value taking a pause and, like, you know, just understanding the environment so and it seems like that's something you do all the time you're constantly assessing how the industry is changing what the oems are doing and how that's going to have a downstream impact on you so why do you value that so much
1: well i mean change is inevitable right so you've got to always understand and analyze where the change is happening a lot of a lot of companies don't want to acknowledge or recognize that change so to me as a marketer in the industrial space you've always got to be looking out for change I think relationships are important. I think relationship-based marketing is extremely important. But data-driven marketing management, experiential-based marketing management are all things that are the future and that are going to drive the space. So you got to do it. And I think that's a big challenge for a lot of mid-level companies is that, okay, do I have the time to do this? Do I have the resources to do this? Right. Even if I had the time or resources, can I afford to not do what I'm focusing on now today to think about, to take a pause and think about, okay, what's really happening and where does it go? And, you know, we've been afforded to, you know, we do that. And by doing that, we, you know, we're putting together some pretty robust strategies going forward and and we feel like we're going to be successful by executing those.
0: So practically, what does that look like? If I'm, you know, a CMO sitting at a, um, you know, middle market manufacturing company, and I'm like, yeah, that's nice to hear. I'd love to have the budget and time allocation to kind of take that pause. Yeah. What are some strategies you've used to like sort of gain that buy-in from your peers and your leadership?
1: Well, what I would say, one of the first things you can do that doesn't cost anything is go get an honest perspective from your customers, your employees, your suppliers. know any of your constituents that you can think of and ask them a set of questions a consistent set of questions so you get the you get answers from different perspectives you know what do we do well what don't we do well what could we do better right one thing I like to ask people is describe us in three words and if you could pick ideal words that how you would want us to be what would those be right and try to figure out how things look that's an external analysis of your company right
0: and it feels like that's just become habit for you. That's not necessarily a thing you have to set aside and do. It's just part of your everyday
1: interaction. Oh, you, you have to.
0: I love that because I think that it takes sort of a commitment and a determination to keep coming back at it. And I sure. think I told you, you know, even earlier today that one of the things that I'm always impressed with is your ability to keep coming back to that executive team and that leadership team and keep going to bat for the things that you believe in with your with your marketing team and your sales team. And so. Talk about sort of how you got there, because that certainly probably wasn't a skill that you learned overnight. But why do you feel that so critical to be a successful marketer in today's day and age?
1: It's not always about the external sell; it's about the internal cell too. Sure. Right. So the operations guy, operations team, always feels like sales is just another sales and market is just another expense, right? Right. Just another. It's just SG&A. Right. right? The engineering guys like, well, you know, what do I need? I know what I'm doing. You don't need to tell me what they need. Sure. You know, okay. And I'm exaggerating because no, I because I, cause I I'm blessed to be able to work with people on my at my peer level that respect the function and respect what we do and we respect each other's skill sets and, and abilities. But I've always viewed that it has to work together. If the functions aren't aligned and the functions don't agree, then it drives conflict, and that conflict is more uh, consuming than producing. Right, right. Right. Now I come back to my previous statement. It's never finished. I mean. It's not a, hey, we're all in alignment, great, let's go. Because right. as soon as you say, hey, we're all in alignment, you're in misalignment. Sure. So, right. so I, think, I think that's the point is that it's an ever-evolving process. And yeah. in my career, I've been fortunate to work with leaders above and beside me that have given me different perspectives on how you need to drive that executive team and, and consensus appropriately.
0: Absolutely. What do you guys do to celebrate your successes and your wins?
1: Wow. You know, a big celebration for us is, um, you know, what we do with our employees, mm-hmm. I think is important. You know, every year in Quincy at the headquarters, we do a huge picnic. I mean, it's probably one of the best corporate picnics I've ever seen. It's for current employees, you know, retirees, grandkids of, of retirees, <laughs> you know, just anybody you could bring. There's, right. there's a bunch of it's just a big old party picnic just to celebrate. And yeah. it really makes us think back to where the company was and where, you know, where we've come to. We celebrate at our industry conference every year, NTA, the national truck equipment association, in Indianapolis. We have a huge celebration for all of our distributors and customers that are there. Just a great big, just for lack of a better word, party. Hardy,
0: absolutely.
1: And we thank them yeah. and we reward the guys that have done really well. And, you know, we, we, we take care of ourselves. We, we have fun ourselves. We celebrate personally, you know, with small groups, um, It's sometimes hard to take a step back and pause and celebrate. But I think it's essential. You have to do it. I mean, that's why we have birthdays, right? Right. Right. We can have cake once a year. So (laughs)
0: So
1: (laughs) I think it's just important to do that.
0: Yeah. So I have a few sort of rapid fire questions for you. What's a good day look like?
1: A good day is when I go home, when I can go home and uh, get home and see Laura and the boys, and kind of shut it off. Okay. That's a good day. Yeah. I mean, I never completely shut it off. Right. But if I feel like I've gotten resolution to the things I was tackling that day, is right. a good day. Okay. And that could be all kinds of different things. Right. right? But that's a that's a really good day for.
0: That's me. awesome. What's a bad day look like?
1: <sighs> a bad day is when you go home and. Um, got either an issue or a customer issue, and you just don't have a solution for it.
0: Yeah, you um, can't let it go.
1: You can't let it go. Right. And then that bad day usually turns into a bad night because you're tossing and turning and just, I'm always thinking about that. Right. It. And that might be me, just me, but I don't think it's just me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think as marketers, we, we bring our work home a lot, right? It's, it informs a lot who we are. and
1: If you're responsible for the well-being of a brand, if you don't embed that brand within you, and you don't feel it, you know in in a lot of things that you do then you're not embracing that role appropriately absolutely so i'm not saying that it's all consuming yeah. right i mean family first is always number one and then whatever will be on that but you just got to live it and you got to own it that's the most important thing
0: cool last thing we're going to do a little word association okay, okay? <laughs> I'm going to give you a host of marketing words. Okay. okay. And I want you to respond with the first word or phrase
1: because that comes mine. to mind. Okay.
0: Okay. Brand.
1: Mm-hmm. Loyalty.
0: Lead generation. Essential. Trade shows.
1: <laughs> oh man. Trade shows. I have so many words. That come. In. The first one that comes to mind is expensive.
0: Yeah, for sure. You guys do a lot of trade shows. Yeah. Marketing strategy.
1: Oh, marketing strategy is everything.
0: Paid media.
1: Cautiously optimistic.
0: Ooh, okay. Social media.
1: Cautiously optimistic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Logos.
1: Core. Okay.
0: Customer experience.
1: Everything. I mean, I think customer, the customer experience is, I, I may have used everything for something else. Yeah. Marketing I think, strategy. Yeah. I think, well, I think, well, your marketing strategy drives your customer experience, so they have to be aligned. Right. How do
0: you think brand and customer experience align?
1: Brand and customer experience, you can have a great brand and a shitty customer experience. <laughs> I
0: love that. <laughs> this is true. Content strategy. Difficult. Yeah technology perplexing (laughs) and then i think the final one i'll go with is viral viral yeah overrated okay cool what are some things that are super interesting questions you have for other marketers
1: I always get intrigued and want to know more about how other peers and other like other contemporaries to me really drive that. How are they driving that sales and marketing alignment okay. within the organizations? Okay. Right. I think we're all striving to get there. And like I said, I don't think it's ever finished. Right. Okay, if you get somebody here who says that it's, oh, yeah, we got that. It's right. done. That's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> but my point is is I'm really interested to know how people accomplish that. Right. And here's why. Here's why. Because I think inherently if you have a sales team, and let's just say it's a distributed sales team, like they're nationally. They're, you have people all over the country or people all over the world. Right. Because I've been part of those organizations. When a salesperson is out in a region or in their area and they are by themselves, Mm -hmm. okay, they inherently feel like they've got to do what they need to do to make it work. Okay. Okay. Right. And sometimes that may lead them to do things that is not consistent with the marketing strategy or not consistent with the brand strategy or not consistent with the managerial strategy. Right. Right. So it's really intriguing to me to hear how people like me who are trying to run these things around the world, around the country, what are, the, what are some of their tricks and tips to try to make it all work?
0: Do you have any for them?
1: I don't think you can communicate too much. Agreed. You can just on anything, just communicate. And I'll be honest with you, I fail sometimes. I'm not communicating when I need to. I sometimes over-communicate when I shouldn't. But you know what? I would rather live with that than not do it. Um, I
0: tell your story a lot how, you know, as you've taken on more lead gen and passing leads from your marketing team to your sales team, that that was a communication strategy. That wasn't just a technology strategy, right? It was like determining what marketing maybe wasn't doing well, Sure. determining what sales wasn't doing well, and then keep bringing them back to the table to have that yeah. conversation.
1: And we can do better. I mean, I I will admit we can do more and we can do better and we can be more refined. Right. But you know what? I always think of this and say, I sometimes I sit there and I get frustrated. I'm like, why can't I get this done? Why right. haven't I been able to, what, what's up? What, how come I can't do this? And then I go back and I go back to all my, other, all my past experiences and I'm like, you know what? There's always been something that's been a challenge.
0: Yep, we right. always overcome it.
1: There's always something there and you just gotta keep pushing through and keep making it work.
0: What do you think holds marketers back from doing the right things? What are the fears these days?
1: Sometimes I think it's the fear of not knowing what the results are going to be. And I think that's something as marketing executives, you have to assess what the potential outcomes can be and then do whatever you can to mitigate any potential risks, don't be afraid to throw something out there and see what happens. Um, The true outcomes are known. You just need to understand how you're going to react when one of those outcomes becomes a reality. Absolutely. That's tough. It takes a lot of time to figure that out and be able to do it.
0: So maybe we end with advice that you have for listeners or, Mm -hmm. you know, just a, a little nugget of practical thought that somebody could put into use in their day to day.
1: I think one thing I would tell people is, is don't be afraid to push the boundaries, okay? But I think it's important to know where your boundaries are.
0: Okay. What do you okay? mean by that?
1: It's simple things like, for example, I have an issue in a market where I've got two cust I have two distributors that are kind of fighting over something. Sure. For a person of my in my company to sit there and try to resolve it over a chapters-long email. Yeah. Is not how we as a company want to work. Right. You, know, you go talk to people. You deal with it at the right levels. You don't novella it. Right. Productive. That's a boundary that wasn't understood. And it was fine. You know, no big deal.
0: Sure.
1: But again, understanding your boundaries are critical.
0: Cool.
1: And understanding where, how, where, where you can push them and where you can go. is that. And, and another nugget is just take time to self-reflect. Take time to know, you know, to assess how you're doing and know why you're doing it. Right. That's important. Again, that kind of falls in the boundary thing. Do you but do that? I do it I, as much as I can. I just sit there. Sometimes I just close the yeah. office door and just kind of take a deep breath and just kind of say, okay, here's where I am. What do I really need to do to change it or do this or, yeah. you know, why am I doing this? Why are we doing that?
0: Or get away from a day, right? Come to Samantha, we hang out. Yeah. I'll tell you what,
1: that's what you guys right? are good for that. And that's, cool. that's important. Awesome. So. I think, hey, thanks for this time. Yeah, uh, it was was super fun.
0: Thank you for your insight. Like I said, you're somebody that I trust. You've had a wealth of experience in this marketing and industrial segment. And uh, hopefully we'll connect you to some of the other people we talked to.
1: Anytime. Thank you.
0: Well, hey friends, that's Mundar to Gay. It is so cool for me to go back and listen to this very first interview I ever recorded. You could probably tell the sound wasn't super great. I loved listening to Mundar talk about pushing boundaries and taking time to self-reflect. I couldn't agree more with that. I actually hope this little podcast is just one way you carve time out of your day to day to think about ways you can push the boundaries in your corner of the world. Mandar is actually sort of a poster child for that. He's constantly coming up with new code names for his big ideas. And he'll tell you, some of them take a long time to implement, sometimes 12 to 18 months. But when you believe in something and you sell it the way Mundar does, it really does happen. So that's my wish for you. Go sell something big today. And if you want to know more about Naphide or the work we do for them, visit naphide.com or visit our podcast website, MarketingSweats.com, and we'll put all the details out there along with how you can download other episodes. We also love it when you take time to give us a review. It helps us get better and make sure we're offering content you like. So, as we close out Mundar's interview today, please tune in for our next discussion with an unbelievably impressive human, Mrs. Portia Mount, Vice President and Global Leader of Strategic Marketing at Ingersoll Rand. Portia is a global leader with big ideas on both marketing and leadership, and she was one of my favorites this season. As always, you can visit us at semantle.com to learn more about us and get in touch, and we're so thankful you're joining us here for these conversations. We hope to talk soon.